We're especially blessed and thankful to have with us two very special friends this morning. Jeff Jeremiah is the State General Assembly of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church denomination. He is the chief uh, executive of our denomination. He spoke to our Sunday school class, and he'll bring, he'll, he will bring uh, greetings this afternoon in our dedication service. And we're thankful that Jeff has taken time out of his very busy schedule uh, to come and be with us for the dedication service in this special day today. We're also very blessed to have with us someone who is very, very special in my life, in Catherine's life, our family's life, my dearly beloved pastor, friend, mentor, Lowell Sykes. Lowell is the pastor emeritus of Rivermont Evangelical Presbyterian Church in retirement in 1999. He was given that honorary title as sort of the, the, the um, continuing pastor, as it were, uh, of that congregation, which he served in Lynchburg, Virginia. I was blessed to serve alongside him as his co-pastor for three years, uh, from 1996 until 99 when he retired. Um, Lowell has, has uh, taught me more than I could really ever take in, but um, it, it's uh, been a, a great blessing to me to have him as an example of Christ, an example of what a true pastor is, and I'm going to stop now because he wants me to stop. <laughs> And we're, we're thankful that Lowell um, is here this morning. Uh. Thank you, John. I didn't realize he was going to do that, or I wouldn't have stood up here while he was doing it. <laughs> Sorry about that. But this morning, uh, we've prayed for you uh, ever since John came back uh, to Monroe. And thank the Lord that he has answered prayers beyond what anybody dreamed he would do. And we're so thankful to be able to participate here with you today on this, this wonderful day of celebration in the life of your congregation. Let us pray. Oh Lord, by the same spirit who inspired the words of Holy Scripture, we pray that you will speak to our hearts today according to our need. Lord, your servants are listening. For Jesus' sake, amen. amen. On the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit had been, the Apostle Peter preached Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ's death on the cross, his mighty resurrection from the dead, his ascension to God's right hand, and his outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter concluded beginning at Acts, the second chapter, beginning at the 22nd verse. Hear the word of God. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brother, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For your children and for all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people to their number daily, those who were being saved. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his holy word, and to his name be ascribed all glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and ever. Amen. The very first result of the Holy Spirit's presence in the church is that the Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching includes both the apostles' interpretation of the Old Testament as pointing to Jesus and his cross, which they were taught taught by Jesus himself. You may remember one of those times was when he says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, that's the Old Testament, he began to show them that it was all about him. Another teaching, which we have in the New Testament, Our devotion to the apostles' teaching will mean submission to the authority of both the Old and New Testaments. A biblical church is one that proclaims, teaches, studies, and submits to the Word of God as it is written in Holy Scripture. Paul wrote to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The letter to the Hebrews defines the church of Jesus Christ as the assembly of those who listen to God speak. This is also true of the Old Testament church. This is not a metaphor. This is not a picture of what the church is like, such as the illustrations of a body or a household. This is what the church is, the assembly of those who gather to hear God speak. The church is that assembly which listens to and obeys the word of God. What is it that constitutes the church? Now, there are some Christian churches which believe that a church remains apostolic by who are ordained to the ministry of the word, be able to trace the trickle of grace through the fingers of those who lay hands on their heads as they're ordained, all the way back to the apostles. Instance, including ourselves, 
reject this view, believing that the way a church remains apostolic is insofar as she continues to embrace, preach, teach, and live by the same word of God which the apostles preached and taught. It is this truth, not a particular office, which binds and identifies the church of Jesus Christ. The true people of God are a people gathered around the word of God and God himself speaks. The people of God have at their center a new reality, the word of God, which constitutes them as the people of God. The church is created and sustained by the word. It is the preaching of the word that brings people into the church. To this, we, we, we look just to one Romans, the 10th chapter, beginning at the 13th verse. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call on the one they have not believed in? And then how can they believe in one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. It is hearing God's word that constitutes its inner reality and distinctiveness. It is that same word which causes the church to grow. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the good news, saying, the time is fulfilled. Repent and believe the gospel. The Christian community began and continues as a worshiping community, a believing community, as the word is proclaimed in the power of the Holy Spirit. No one can read scripture, and especially the history of the early church, without being uh, consciously reminded of the fact that the church was called by the word of God. The rushing mighty wind and cloven tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost, though spectacular, did not make the lasting impact on the day of Pentecost. These dramatic people ask, what does this mean? But it was the preaching of the word that pricked their hearts and made them cry out, what must we do? When the work and witness of the church began, some of the implications of the gospel began to become evident in the need for works of compassion and social concern, the apostles appointed deacons, appointed deacons to supervise this. Their explanation was, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Of course, this didn't mean that they thought they were too good to wait on tables, not at all. But preaching the word and prayer surrounding that, they considered to be so pivotally important that they couldn't neglect that to do other people to do those other things. And when persecution came, as it invariably did, they were scattered abroad everywhere preaching the word. The first great missionary outreach with the gospel had its origins in Antioch, 
a church deeply taught the word. The apostolic endeavor invariably took the form of preaching and teaching ministry. They proved, as Paul made clear at the outset of his first letter to the Corinthians, that it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. Paul writes, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And you know that's true. Your unbelieving loved ones and friends might get you. How could you make the center of your life an old, old story of Jesus and his love? Life in him and in him alone. And you pray that they too will come into the joy of knowing sins forgiven in Jesus Christ. Paul said, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I listened to John's sermon uh, on that subject here, on that text lately here. What a powerful sermon I responded to. I said, you're going to have revival out there. (laughs) My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom. Of course, Paul preached more than Jesus' crucifixion for our sins. He said in another place he had proclaimed the whole counsel of God. What he means by saying that he preached is that his preaching demonstrated that everything in Scripture either leads into or out from the cross. And he saw that and he, he preached it and proclaimed it so that no matter what his text, he always ended up at Jesus dying on the cross for us and for our salvation and rising from the dead on the third day. That's victorious kind of preaching. That's joyful preaching because it has life in it. The cross of Jesus Christ is absolutely central to Christian preaching and teaching. As Paul writes in Rome, short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So God, to be true to his own law, has the penalty of the law against sin paid on the cross so that those who cast themselves on Jesus Christ will not have to pay that penalty that their sins deserve, but are seen in Christ's righteousness alone, prone. That's good news, brothers and sisters. Even a Presbyterian said amen. Just one. Good news. I mean, just think of it. To to be headed toward destruction, think of yourself as a prisoner being let out to death. And before you get there, 
another says, I will take his place. I will take her place. They are let free. The substitute takes the punishment. How do you think that one just let free would feel? It's indescribable. I who was under condemnation and death to death, eternity in the fires of hell am free. Free. The Protestant Reformation was born in the conviction, revived and reformed by the preaching of the most holy gospel, the glory and grace of God, the true treasure of the church. The holy Christian church, whose only head is Jesus Christ, was born in the word of God, which abides in the same and does not listen to the voice of a stranger. John Calvin and the other reformer pastors had no program for the church other than preaching and teaching the word of God, administering the sacraments and pastoral work. The church lived, they believed, by hearing the word of God. Martin Luther liked to insist that it was the preaching of the word which called the only thing necessary for the existence of the church is the word of God, which is heard in preaching and dramatized through the sacraments. The church lives by the preaching and hearing. Everything else in the life of the church is subordinate to this. The Reformation can be best understood as a revival of preaching, the principal means by which God's grace is mediated to human beings. The Shorter Catechism declares the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of convincing, converting sinners, and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith to salvation. No clearer statement can be found of the place of preaching in a biblical church. Protestantism and especially the Reformed branch of Protestantism, depends primarily on the preaching of God's grace to human beings. The Reformers maintain that Christ and Scripture are inseparable in the sense that it's only through the Scriptures that Christ can be. Luther said that the Bible is the manger where we find Christ. Scripture, the written word of God, always points to Jesus Christ, the living word, Therefore, to communicate the whole Christ and is to mediate the whole salvation. We need a whole Bible to do this. For Christ is in all of Scripture and everywhere, in all parts. A man or woman hears his or her master's voice. You study the Scriptures diligently, said our Lord, because you think in them you have eternal life. These Scriptures testify about me and to guarantee its existence. So without the word of God, nothing else in the church program amounts to very much. There's nothing organizational that will solve the needs of the church, preachers and teachers of the word of God. How blessed you are to be members of a congregation that believes the Bible is the word of God the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Or to quote Augustine, what scripture says, God says. This is embraced by your pastors. 
your officers, preached from your pulpit, and taught in your Sunday school. Now believe me, in our day, this is not always the case. Most of us can point to churches that were originally gathered and established by the true preaching of God's word, which in just the past few years have wandered into the wastelands of modernity in which this has been gone, disappeared. Biblical categories lost, and the so-called worship is dominated by entertainment. What? Where was the New Testament access on reverence and awe? You know, there are two major mountains mentioned in the scriptures. One is Mount Sinai, which gives the Ten Commandments, God's law. The other is Mount Calvary, on which the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, poured out his life's blood for our sins. For your sins and my sins. And there's not anything funny about either one of those. The emphasis in the Reformed Church has been that in public worship, we are serious as we read the Word of God, preach the Word of God, sing the Word of God, pray the Word of God, and seated in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Joe Thorne writes insightfully, true worship may be painful one moment and joyful the next as we encounter God's law and gospel confessing our sins, and resting in the pardon we have in Jesus Christ. What is more dramatic than a condemned sinner's being forgiven by a holy God, than slaves being set free by the Savior? What is more thrilling than the Son of God standing in the place of the ungodly to save them from God's wrath? So indeed, we have great emotion in worship. Not emotion that catches us up as we who were under the sentence of death are declared free in Jesus Christ. We need to have more than an orthodox doctrine of Scripture. You know, it's possible to have a right doctrine of Scripture and be lost. Did you hear what I said? It's possible to have a right doctrine of Scripture and be lost. And I'm all for right doctrines of Scripture. But James writes in his New Testament letter, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. In other words, if you merely listen to the word of God and simply approve it, but don't obey it, you're deceiving yourselves by thinking you're a biblical people. The Hebrews writes of the power of the word of God, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. But you might ask, if the word of God is so powerful, why is it that so many people seem unaffected by it? The writer of the same letter says, 
For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Faith means receiving joyfully and trusting completely and obeying. God speaks to the prophet Ezekiel. As for you, O son of man, your countrymen are talking together about you by the walls and at their door of the houses, saying to each other, Come and hear them. My people come to you, as they usually do, and they sit before you and listen to your words, but they do not put them into practice. With their mouths, they express devotion, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well. For they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. Jesus echoed this warning when he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons, works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. To me, And it ought to be to you. People can be orthodox in their theology and love to hear the word of God preach and can even talk to their neighbors, come to our church, you ought to hear our preacher preach. He can really preach. But they treat it as entertainment. They don't treat it as if God himself is speaking. And when God speaks to us, we better heed it and do it. Oh, men and women and young people, flee from the wrath to come. And it is surely for coming, for all hearing God's word, even claim to believe it is God's word, and yet refuse to do God's word, refuse to obey it. To continue in means that we continue to warn people of the coming righteous wrath of a holy God against sin. We continue to proclaim that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again from the dead on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We continue to beg people to turn away from their sins and embrace Jesus Christ as he's offered in the gospel. We continue to show that the law of God is for our good and urge people to run joyfully the paths of God's good commandments, to lead a life worthy of the calling to which they have been called. As we dedicate your, and it is wonderful, it really is. We want to note that the importance of preaching the word is set forth in your, before the Protestant Reformation, the church had so degenerated that there was very little emphasis on preaching, and many churches had no pulpits at all. The visual focus of their worship centered on a coffin-like, what they called an altar, where they believed that Jesus Christ was sacrificed again and again. But the Reformers learned from Scripture and brought preaching back to its central place. 
that Jesus' sacrifice was once for all on the cross, never to be repeated. And it was to be proclaimed to the end of the world. Jesus Christ died once for all. And so the reformers built pulpits, usually large and high and beautiful, and architecturally wise the critical importance of the preaching of the word of God. What is the first thing that catches your eye when you come into this beautiful space? The magnificent pulpit on which rests the Holy Bible. And you're saying by this, we are a congregation of believers gathered under the word of God. And it's as if you as a people have have put a little plaque right here that only the pastors can see when they step in the pulpit. Sirs, we would see Jesus. Show us Jesus. He is what we need. Proclaim him to us. No, Jesus said when he is lifted up, he will draw people to himself. This pulpit cries out for the lifting up of Jesus. And the reformers used tables for the Lord's Supper that looked like tables with legs on them, like yours does. Not a coffin-like altar on which it's at least implied that Jesus is crucified repeatedly. You eat a meal on a table. The meal is the Lord's Supper in which he offers himself to us sacramentally. Today, I've sought to lift up Jesus Christ before you, and I trust that by the Holy Spirit, he has been lifted up and publicly portrayed as crucified. You know, Paul said this to the Galatians, Jesus Christ was publicly crucified before you. Well, the Galatians hadn't been there. They hadn't been on Calvary. What Paul meant was, as I proclaimed Jesus and him crucified, It was as if you were there. The Holy Spirit gripped your heart and you knew it was for me. It was for me he died. And like Thomas of old, you fell before him. My Lord and my God. This morning, I pray that Jesus will always be lifted up from this pulpit in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that hearts will be gripped by the truth of the gospel. And people who are already believers will be established in the faith, and people who are not believers will turn from darkness to light. Now is the the day of salvation. It's the voice of God calling you. Don't spurn him. Don't scoff at God speaking to you. Don't refuse, but yield and come to him in humility and faith, saying in the words of that old hymn, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. O God, our gracious Lord, by the power of your word and spirit, deliver us from any notion 
that simply knowing and approving your truth is the same as doing your truth, that simply knowing and approving your truth transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ by the power of your word and spirit being applied to a yielded life. O oh Lord, enable us to yield all we are, all we hope to be, for Jesus' sake, amen. amen. Let us respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ by joyfully from our hearts proclaiming what we believe in the words of the Philippian Creed. We believe in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even the death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen.